For a long time, I had battled with the thought that no matter how good I become, I wouldn't get a chance to play pro ball because the NFL had that black quarterback syndrome. Doug Williams, 1990. Welcome to the Football Cypher here on the Football Game Plan Podcast Network. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and you can follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. And if you're not familiar to what a rap cipher is, it's a crowd that forms in freestyle raps as they pass the mic around. Well, it's the same thing here, except there won't be any rapping going on. We'll just pass the mic around and keep the football takes flowing. Make sure to subscribe to the Football Game Plan podcast on iTunes, and please leave us a five-star rating. That's where you can find all of our many different shows. You can also find them archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast and finally don't forget to check out and subscribe to the football game plan network on youtube located at youtube.com slash football game plan on this episode we'll discuss a very important topic that seems to be the biggest elephant in the football room from a nationals perspective behind the chains the mis-evaluation of the black quarterback and it will be a 360 discussion on the uniqueness of being a black quarterback and the constant struggle to succeed against a stacked deck let me introduce those that will be in the cypher with us this episode, football game plan analyst Chris James. Chris, what are you hoping to get across in this discussion? You know, it's a, a interesting discussion to talk about, but the main thing is the inequality that exists with the most coveted position in all of American professional sports, the quarterback. While quarterbacks are getting a chance that look like me, is the chance actually as equal as it should be? And you can follow Chris on Twitter at CJFlorida9. Gene Clemens joins us as well. Gene, why do you feel as though this conversation or this is a conversation that needs to be had? Well, clearly it's something that we talk about all the time without actually saying what we mean. And I think most of the times the problem with what we do is we're just afraid to just say what it is we really want to say. For some reason, there's a, there's a, there's a passe out that you can't just say, hey, look, that guy's being discriminated against. But we all know it's happening and we see it happening more and more at this position just by the certain type of terms they say. So why not discuss it? That's why I think it's important. Teron Davenport coming in live from the city of brotherly love. Teron, you're in a city where you've had multiple black quarterbacks start for the Eagles and at a major university in the Temple Owls. How unique do you feel as though your perspective is on this topic? Well, I think it's very unique because Philadelphia is a city that uh, seems to be a bit reluctant to accept a, a black quarterback, a, a black star in itself. So I, I think it's unique because, you know, how this city has been, you look at even in baseball, as far as Ryan Howard to Chase Utley, you know, they wanted to run Ryan Howard out of town. They love Chase Utley to the point where tonight they're rooting for the Dodgers. So it, it's interesting how that whole dynamic works. But end of the day, obviously, what should matter is how well a guy plays, but we know that that's not the situation. You can follow Teron on Twitter at tdavenport underscore NFL. He also covers the Philadelphia Eagles as the editor for Eagles Wire, and you can catch him on NBC Sports Philly. And the last member of the cipher, Brandon Howard of Sports Talk Florida. Brandon, you have two small sons, one of which wants to be a quarterback. How important is this topic for you? Uh, it's extremely important. Uh, I believe, you know, on Twitter, you've probably seen us talk about this topic ad nauseum. And, um, you know, I think that is very important that you know, it's critical that we have this conversation because it, it provides hope, not only for, you know, just everyone, but kids that look like 
you know, my son as well. So it's very important that we have this conversation so that, you know, when they look at the television screen and they see quarterbacks that do look like them, then they don't feel as though that the, de the deck may be stacked against them when it's their turn to be evaluated. So that's definitely something that we're, we're hoping to, to bring to the forefront here with this conversation. Definitely, man. And now that we've set the table, let's get things started. Now, I guess the burning question I have to ask is, why has the quarterback position been so slow to integrate? Or should I say, it really has been a tough nut to crack for black athletes? So, in my opinion, it's been a tough nut to crack simply because of what I stated as the reason I'm here. It is the most coveted position in American professional sports. Anywhere else, no matter what, there's been opportunities. But, but this is the, the last bastion. And it's something that doesn't seem to be want to be given away. It's almost like the presidency in some respects. Uh, so I think that it's been treated where, like everyone here knows, you, you see the buzzwords, you see the, the writing on the wall, but they don't want to actually say it. But the chances just are not there. You have to be twice as good and work twice as hard to get half as much. And that's unfortunate. Well, I think it's it's simple. If you look at football and the evolution of football and what it what it was, is it used to be that, you know, the black athletes um, played those skilled positions like wide receiver, defensive back. And throughout the years, black athletes have become they, they've come further and further to the middle um, defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen and now offensive linemen to where. There is no safe haven for the quote-unquote white athlete in football anymore. They feel as if um, their, their place is, it has, been, has been eliminated. But the quarterback position for them still holds that esteem of being one that is played from the neck up. And so they feel as if, hey, we, we have the decided advantage from the neck up, so we're going to hold on to this position. When in reality is – is, is we know because we've seen it throughout all walks of life, not just in athletics, um, there are no superior from the neck up when it comes to race. It's just a matter of who's willing to put in the time and effort to be great. And when you add in the fact that there are superior athletes playing a position now that happen to be black, um, it, it means that there's time to panic. And I think that's what's happening now. And so it's like, okay, well, what do we do? We'll just make it twice as hard, three times as hard for them. We'll scrutinize every little thing they do. Yeah, and uh, Gene, that, that's definitely, uh, you know, I, I like the way that you, you put that there. And then um, I think that when you look back at uh, what John Wall had to say at the uh, Washington Wizards media day, uh, he talked about how black quarterbacks, um, their positions are routinely switched when they move from the college level to the NFL. Why is that? It happens a lot because oftentimes the quarterback position, they are the face of the franchise. That's basically what it boils down to. You are selling your product with this quarterback. They are the most important position on the football field so that you're selling your, your team with this player. And oftentimes owners don't like the fact that the quarterback does not look like them. They're, it's they are the face of the franchise and they want to be able to sell that with someone that looks like them. And oftentimes that's why you see black quarterbacks coming from the college level, having to switch positions, but they may have the tools to play the position, 
But unfortunately, they don't get that opportunity because quarterbacks are looked upon as the CEO of the company. And oftentimes, it's uncomfortable for others when that face does not look like their own. Yeah, and I always find it interesting how this position has been so hard for black athletes to crack because when you, when you look at the quarterback position, obviously it's a position where you have to be able to think critically and make decisions on the fly. And it's just funny to me because, Chris, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of black athletes, you know, ha have been at the receiver position, or rather, Gene, you mentioned that, have been at the receiver position and a lot of the skill positions and these are areas where you have to react quickly and, and just allow your athleticism to take over. But it's funny because the quarterback position is just the same. And when you have guys like uh, a Robert uh, RG3 be becoming the, the second pick in the draft and, and Brandon, as you mentioned, the face of the franchise part of it, here it is a guy that had dreads. They didn't like that there were some who didn't like him being the face of the franchise because of the dress. Never mind that he was a, a, a clean prospect as far as, you know, issues and, and everything like that. So it's just funny. I think it's really just a matter of control. And, and that's really what it's all about. Whereas they, they want to have the leaders be people that look like them. And, and unfortunately, even when you have a, a, a a guy like a Donovan McNabb who gets drafted and they boo him when he gets drafted. It's just, they don't want to accept the fact that the, the leader of this team, the guy who's taking them where they need to go does not look like them. And I think that's a major issue for a lot of people when they look at this quarterback position. Because it goes back all the way to slave time, so to speak, where blacks were looked at as we were looked at as, not being able to think animalistic, right? Mm -hmm. um, savages. And so not being able to reason when we were the teachers of mathematics, science, and all kind of things like that coming from the quote unquote motherland. Um, but when, and think about it, how important was it for, for uh, the other side when we got here for them to say, Hey, don't let them read. Don't teach them how to speak our language. Let's keep them deaf, dumb, and blind. Right. And so when you look at these positions, like Gene brought up, the center position, the Mike linebacker, the free safety quarterback, all of those are considered thinking man positions. And when you are coming from a place where you view the other race as not being able to think, and that stereotype has been played over and over by the, the audio, the visual, the, uh, the drawings, everything that has been displayed over time, it's just been brainwashed and ingrained in society and is also being taught to where it's become second nature. For instance, if I growing up, my mom had Crisco on the stove. I had no idea what Crisco was for, no idea what it, what it did or how it was used. But when I got my first apartment, first thing I did was buy Crisco. Cause I think, well, you know, I guess you need Crisco for whatever it is. I never use it, but because I saw it my whole life, I just assumed it was what you were supposed to do. So imagine hearing, oh, so-and-so can't think, so-and-so can't read defenses, so-and-so struggles to pick up complex uh, offenses or defenses. You're just going to think that's naturally how it's supposed to be. And for you start to see it slowly over time with the mic backer position and then free safety and, and then, then the center position, I think, with Donald Stevenson was one of the first or the, the first uh, 
are little. I'm sorry, they got to play for the Dolphins, played at Alabama. I was one of the first black centers in the NFL. I just find it interesting that this position, like Gene said, this is the last, it's fear. Because you had an RG3, you had a Cam Newton being the top quarterbacks coming out in those two years. So you start to see, oh, wait a minute. You look down the pipeline in college football, that's all you see. And if you're going to lose that position, which is the face of the franchise, like Brandon talked about, and the person that's going to be the CEO of the company, and it, it all of a sudden all the people that's coming up that that have that uh, chance to be a part of your organization don't look like you, it's going to be a lot of fear. And I hate it's not to say it's, it's a conspiracy, but everyone gets involved because you look at from the owners to the coaches to the scouts to the people that cover the game, a lot of the people don't look like me, so I don't know what I am supposed to do. I can't relate. So the fear factor comes in, and you start to see people go above and beyond the call of duty to make sure the position stays the way it has always, quote-unquote, been. It makes me sad when I think back about all the great black quarterbacks who changed their positions either to play in college or in the pros. I wonder now how that must have hurt all those guys. Because someone said, blacks can't make it as the quarterback. Did they buy into the stereotype that blacks couldn't lead whites? I worked hard with my guys to let them know it was only a stereotype, and that we all could be leaders of people, no matter what their color was. Eddie Robinson, 1968. And it's unfortunate that this seems to be the situation that we sit in. So everything we discussed just now kind of plays into my question, which is why is athleticism viewed as a need for a position change for black quarterbacks, but gets pushed as a plus for non-black quarterbacks? Well, Chris, I mean, I think we all, we all realize that it's the double talk that we hear um, all the time. Hey, you know, this, this, this black quarterback, can run and he's not the prototypical size the prototypical height so he needs to he needs to change to running back um a guy like quentin flowers is going to deal with that right now um or hey this guy has is tall but he runs a lot and and he's really really fast and athletic so he's going to have to move the wide receiver and um a guy like lamar jackson is going to have to deal with that and so when you see the way in which they do that, but then they turn right around and say a guy like Trace McSorley, um, the fact that he can run and that he has mobility, that is a plus, and that adds something to his um, game as a quarterback because he may not be an elite-level athlete. I think that's just a way for them to, to double-talk and, and, and get us out the door so that they can give um, other guys who they perceive to be more of what a quarterback is supposed to look like the opportunity to play the position. Absolutely. And, um, you know, athleticism uh, uh, has always been looked at as a plus uh, when it comes to white quarterbacks. But when it comes to black quarterbacks, um, it, it's perceived as, well, you know what? This guy can be more beneficial to us or be more of a um, – more of a weapon or a threat for us if we move them to wide receiver or running back. Why would you move that player to where all the speed is to the outside or to the perimeter and, and essentially neutralize 
what makes him effective at the quarterback position. So that makes zero sense. I was at the combine a couple years back when Jeff Driscoll ran a 4-5. No one talked to Jeff Driscoll about moving from quarterback to wide receiver. Trevon Boykin goes out there at the combine, runs a 4-8. I kid you not. He's peppered with questions routinely about moving from quarterback to wide receiver. Uh, you know, the one time that you caught that pass at, tech, at TCU, um, you know, would you ever consider playing? Why? Why, why is this happening? So I, I think that this is something that needs to stop um, or we'll never uh, be able to, to have a level playing field as far as quarterback evaluation for black quarterbacks. And I, I just it's, it's unfortunate. And I, I really hope that, you know, throughout this conversation, people see what they do, whether um, it, it's directly or indirectly, um, whether purposeful or not purposeful, that, you know, this is what we put black quarterbacks through year in, year out, perennially. We do this. And this is something that needs to stop. It's funny because I remember there was an old NFL films clip uh, on the Houston Oilers and uh, they were talking about Warren Moon and, and they had a clip of him at practice, you know, just joking around, running routes, catching the ball. He did like, a, you know how the quarterback's warming up. So he was running routes, catching the ball. And he said, man, let me stop before, you know, if I do this too much, they, you know, they're going to try to move a brother receiver. You know what I'm saying? So, so he saw it then and that was like 1986, 87. And it's always funny because when you sit there, let's say when the Green Bay Packers uh, play the, the Seattle Seahawks, you're essentially watching the same player uh, quarterback both teams. But one is looked at as the best pure passer in the game. The other is looked at a scrambler. And we've seen this over time. We've seen Roger the Dodger get talked about. We've seen John Elway get talked about because of his athleticism. But then we see – Randall Cunningham only get talked about because of his legs. We only hear Dante Culpepper was a big guy that ran over, you know, defenders and things of that nature. You never talk about the passing side of what they brought to the table. Michael Vick, people forget that he can throw the football end zone to end zone. He had a real life tech mobile arm, right? And so, but all you hear is the the mobility talked about. But when they talk about Aaron Rodgers, they talk about his mental capacity. Uh, to talk about John Elway's ability to to read the defense and and lead, you know, even though John Elway and Cam Newton play the exact same game, you know, Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers play the exact same game. Gene brought up uh, Trace McSorley, which is interesting because Trace McSorley uh, plays a game like a you know like Johnny Manziel, who also plays like let's say a guy like Joe Hamilton played back in the day. So I just find it interesting that two players could be doing the same exact thing in his view, completely different. When, when and Brandon brought up uh, Trayvon Boykin running at four, eight instantly people said, well, he, he won't have a shot now in the league because he ran a four. He spoke like, as if he was his shot in the league was dependent on him, dependent on him running a fast 40 time in order to play wide receiver, ignoring the fact that he broke all sorts of passing records at, uh, uh, TCU and it's also sad because in that same draft class you had a guy in Carson Wentz tremendous athleticism right you know I think he was faster than I think I want to say he ran like a four or six or something like that there was a guy in Kyle Washington at Angelo State 6'4 211 broke all sorts of division two passing records um he's about in and he goes to Eagles camp mm. as an undrafted free agent on a tryout basis 
as a receiver, despite breaking all those passing records and being the same type of athlete that Carson Wentz is, Kyle Washington doesn't get that opportunity to play at the play quarterback or fail at quarterback. He has to make it as a receiver in a position that he hadn't played his entire life against dudes that have played cornerback their entire life and dudes that have played receiver their entire life. So I just think it's nonsense. And Brandon is right. It's something that people have to stop doing to these black quarterbacks, allow these guys to play the position. I think Teron talked with uh, Everett Golson, who was peppered with questions about that at Eagles camp. So it's just nonsense. Yeah, and I agree with you, and I'm glad you mentioned Carson Wentz, who uh, I'll tell you, Wentz is the the type of guy that when you have interaction with him, direct interaction, you're going to come away liking him, right? So what ends up happening is you have this whole agenda. You know, he he fits he fits the mold that that people want to establish for the quarterback position. You know, he's he's taller, he's he's physical, he's athletic, he embraces physicality. And he, he's such a, a great guy off the field. And I think it, it's funny that he gets so much praise. And we talked on a different podcast about him and, and how people mentioned him as a dual threat and how that's a plus when you're talking about Carson Wentz. But then the whole term dual threat, really, uh, that, that's something that Colin Kaepernick took. And, and, and people made T-shirts about that for Kaepernick. And, and it's something that whenever these – morons are, are saying he's not a good quarterback they say oh well he's a running quarterback and that's the only way he threatens the defense but what they don't realize is is how Kaepernick could sit in that pocket at times and and throw that 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 deep dagger route or throw that seam route with as much precision as anybody in the league so it, it always makes me laugh when I when I see the double standard because you look at a guy like a big Baker Mayfield, right? He, he's six feet one, six foot one, right? And whenever you, you, you talk about a quarterback, Joey Hamilton, Charlie Ward, or even, you know, to move it up a little bit further, Trevon Boykin, these guys are, are, are all too small to p- play the position, right? But Baker May- Mayfield in some ranks is considered a number one prospect at the quarterback position. But he plays the position with a reckless manner. But it's okay because for him, he's a gamer. He's someone who just wants to win. And it's it just the double standard. And that's really all it is. It's a double standard. There's double talk. And that's why, you know, when you go to one of these guys, you, you know, I talked about the, the interaction I had with Deshaun Watson at a couple of draft events here in Philadelphia. And, and just the, the look on his face when he saw me say to him, I'm glad you stayed as a quarterback, that's priceless. And that just goes to show you the amount of pressure that is on these guys. And it's unfortunate that, you know, you show just a tad uh, of athleticism and as a black quarterback, they're going to tell you, oh, you will be a better receiver. Look at the the young fella out of Auburn a couple years ago. They moved him to defensive back in the middle of, of or right before the senior bowl started. How do you do that and expect this kid to succeed? Uh, it, it just it, it baffles me how, how you make these players change positions when they get to the highest level of football that's available on the planet. 
you have them change positions from what they've played all of their life. So I, you know, it's it's really ridiculous how how they do that with these guys, and it, it does have to stop because you have so many players. I mean, we talk over and over again how we wonder how good Charlie Ward would have been if he was able to take the field as as an NFL player. But we'll never know, and it's unfortunate that we're cheated out of guys like that because of these fake boundaries that are placed upon them. Well, just to address one thing that Teron said, Baker Mayfield is 6'1 if he's standing on a stack of phone books. <laughs> um, I'm going to describe a guy who won a Heisman Trophy last year and is draft eligible at quarterback, and I'm going to give you some of the, the, the scouting reports on him. His name's Lamar Jackson, for those who might not know. Comes off his, uh, his first read too, too soon. Doesn't throw intermediate passes uh, consistently. Uh, footwork is inconsistent. More up to roll out of the pocket when not necessary. Uh, more athletic than accurate. And I'm going to give you the name of a guy who is actually a tick lower and all of the things I said describe this guy. No one ever asked him to move to receiver, and it would thought, be thought of as blasphemy. And by the way, this guy is actually an inch shorter than Lamar Jackson. Uh, he's slower than Lamar Jackson, but his main thing was his athleticism. But the nation loved this guy only a few years earlier. And again, never asked to ever move, even when he was a little brat and pretty much a risk to any organization. That's Johnny Manziel. There were no questions about Johnny Manziel, zero, even though he showed that he was a POS on and off the field a lot. There are no questions about Lamar Jackson. The kid is well put together. He is more accurate. He's a better athlete. He's got a better arm and just overall a better quarterback and doesn't have Mike Evans to bail him out every mm. single time he throws mm. a jump ball. So if Johnny Manziel was never at any point questioned, about whether he need to make a position change, why in the hell is Lamar Jackson question? And you know what's crazy about Jackson? He made progression from last year to this year as a passer. No one talks about that. Uh, uh, absolutely. Because as I told Brandon in a conversation once, I'm like, I'm waiting for him to improve on his intermediate throws and become more consistent. Guess what? I've seen it. He, to his own detriment, has stayed in the pocket and tried to make that throw. I think to prove that point this year, and <laughs> in a system where he's forced to make every play because they are not a good football team. He literally has to make every play for them to be relevant. He is also trying to prove that he can do all the things he's going to be questioned on, period, when he tries to go to the next level. It's, it's actually a testament to how much this young man cares about that position in his craft. And that's a fantastic point, um, CJ. And we look at it, and, and, and I think Lamar Jackson's going to be the test case. I think he's going to be the poster child for what is, is happening um, to the new age black quarterback because his numbers are so astronomically video game-like um, that they can't be ignored. You can't, you can't, with a straight face, say Lamar Jackson needs to be playing wide receiver when he's a top five passer in the nation um, just because he happens to also be a top five, top 10 rusher in the nation as well. Um, that shouldn't be devalued as a quarterback. And it rolls right into my question, which is, is why are the, 
why is the QB rushing statistics devalued when assessing the viability of a quote-unquote mobile quarterback and praised when pocket quarterbacks do the same? So when we look at that, like, like why is it so different for Lamar Jackson than it is for, say, a guy like Josh Allen? You know, it, it just goes back to, to what we've talked about, and that's the double standard. And, I mean, you look at a guy like a Josh Allen, and there was a clip I saw, I think it was yesterday, um, where they showed him scrambling, and, and he moved back in the pocket in a way that reminded me of Tecmo Bowl. You know, the guy ran back like 20 yards in, in the pocket and had – Desha- uh, Deshaun Watson or, or Lamar Jackson or, or Kaiser, any of these guys, have th- had they done that, they just said, oh, he, he's, he's just pressing to, to make a play and, and that's terrible pocket discipline. And it, it just it, it, it's funny when, when you look at this whole situation, even taking it to the NFL and a guy like a Carson Wentz. Granted, he's doing an excellent job of, of eluding pressure in the pocket right, and, and, and scrambling with his eyes downfield to make a big play. But why is that something that's so valued with him, but it's devalued with, with uh, a guy like a Cam Newton? You know, what they, they'll say, oh, well, you take Cam Newton's legs away, and he's not a good quarterback. Well, newsflash for you is you can't take his legs away. That's a part of his game. So I, I really I, – it just goes back to the whole double standard. I mean, that's that's really where, where I'm going to take it. And, and and it's just they want a certain type of uh, a quarterback. And, and if you don't, you know, stay in the pocket and, and, and make plays from the pocket as a, a quarterback with darker skin, you're going to be over critiqued. I mean, that's, that's really the bottom line. And even the guys who stay in the pocket, a la Warren Moon, or, or even you look at a guy like a Doug Williams, a Jameis Winston. These are guys who make all the throws or who made and now make all of the throws that you want a guy to make from the pocket, but they still get categorized as a mobile quarterback. So it's just – it's it's a double standard in my book. And, uh, Teron, I'm going to go back to something you said earlier about the immense pressure that these guys are under. Um you all mentioned that my son is an aspiring quarterback. He's seven years old. Uh, he went to an event that Lamar Jackson's mother was hosting. And he went to her and said, you know, one day I'm going to be better than Lamar Jackson. Don't you know she embraced him, hugged him, and said, you keep on dreaming and you keep working hard. Almost with tears in her eyes, knowing that everything that her son is facing, that maybe one day there's another child that might face exactly those things. So she knows the games that, you know, in the media that, that people play, the double standards that have, you know, been put out there, you know, in the moving goalposts, so to speak, um, that her son is facing. And she's looking at other children and, and speaking to them and knowing that the things that they may be facing going forward um, with aspiring to play the quarterback position. Um, and I just, it's so sad to see because here you have so many talented kids that may not get a chance to play the position based upon the color of their skin. And then on top of that, their athleticism that almost plays as a negative for them. So when you see a kid that can run a little bit, you're not thinking, well, I wonder, you know, what 
can he do if he stays at the quarterback position? No, they're automatically thinking about what can they do with him as a gadget player, as a receiver, or as a running back. And, and I think that that's just highly unfortunate. And it's something that we must continue to discuss, put out there on the table, and make people aware of the fact that that line of thinking at times can be very offensive. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's actually a statistic that I'm glad exists now because I don't think it took into account all the things that, to me, the quarterback position embodies. And the quarterback position is decision-making and making plays that get the offense to move forward. So I'm glad the total QPR, QBR exists because – it seemed like quarterback ranking or quarterback rating was almost used as a detriment to some example. And, and what I mean by that is it felt like there were certain quarterbacks with athletic ability that were put in offenses where they were required to just throw the ball as far as they could or take off and run, which degrades that quarterback rating, right? Because it's predicated off of completion percentage and blah, 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 and all this total QBR takes into account all the decisions that you make. So I'm glad that that exists because it actually is giving more credence to the quote unquote mobile quarterback who is playing the position the right way and making the decisions the right way. Now, as far as these pocket quarterbacks putting into quotation marks and mobile quarterbacks kind of being treated in different ways, I would be fine with it if it was equally portioned out. And what I mean by that is if you're going to give more credit to someone who's a pocket quarterback that moves around well, then you have to give more credit to the passes that are completed by the quote-unquote mobile quarterback. You have to try to treat everything. You can't just degrade one thing and praise another. You have to kind of treat it equally. So if there's equal standards that are given out, I'm on board. But it doesn't feel like that is the case, especially far too often when the quarterback, again, happens to look like any of the people currently on this cipher. It's funny that you you brought up uh, you guys brought up Johnny Manziel because that's the perfect example or comparison to what is going on with Lamar Jackson. You look at Johnny Manziel, and the only questions they had about him going into the draft was whether or not he was going to uh, have the requisite height, right? And we all know size is not a skill. And the other question was, can you trust him on the field, or off the field? But no one talked about the fact that this dude ran for 1,400 yards as a freshman and nearly 800 yards as a sophomore. So he was doing exactly what Lamar Jackson is doing, but all you hear about Jackson is his ability to run, even though Manziel was doing the same thing and did it in the SEC. So it's funny how the rushing stats were devalued for uh, Jackson, used as a negative, but for Manziel it wasn't even talked about and they only focused on his passing. And you guys talked about how Lamar Jackson has gotten better year over year, and exactly right, especially his freshman year when he was thrown into that Music City Bowl. He really just took the snap and took off running. And then last year when he won the Heisman, to go from just taking off and running to winning the Heisman Trophy as a passer and also as a runner, it shows you the strides he made in his game. And this year is just on a whole nother level, which is crazy because you, you look at, the stats for his all football is a simple game. Just convert first downs and put the ball in the end zone, period. I don't care how you get those first downs. I don't care what you're doing to get them as long as you get them. And as long as at the end of the day, we end up in the end zone, you see Josh McCown just figure out ways to move the football 
with this Jets offense. Sometimes he may throw a perfectly deep, accurate ball in the corner to Robbie Anderson. Other times he may try to just take off and run and get helicoptered into the end zone and also fumble the ball. But still, at least he's trying to find ways to move the football down the field. And they call that for the other side. They call that gritty, uh, moxie, you know, uh, leadership. But for mobile quarterbacks or guys that have mobility that don't look like the other side, they call that not being able to read defenses, you know, but in the sense it's helping you move the offense down the field. And I just hate that it's being used as a detriment to a, a guy's potential as opposed to, Hey, you know, it's an asset. And the sad part is that's psychological warfare because that starts all the way at the youth level and at the high school level, because with these high school rankings, there's a separate column for pocket passer and dual threat when they're playing the same position. And I exactly. hate that, Emory. I'm sorry, Gene. I was just saying, I hate that there's a designation because, no offense, if a coach can't tell whether or not this guy is going to fit into their scheme, whether they are a quote-unquote pocket passer or a dual threat, then they don't deserve their job. So why do we need to delineate between the two? And and it's such a great point, um, Chris and Emory. And um, I, I look at this, and I, and I try to take emotion out of it because if I put emotion into it, I'll start using expletives, and nobody needs that. Um, I just look at it from a statistical understanding of the game. The object of the game is to move the football from one end of the field to the other and put it into the opponent's end zone. Who cares how that gets done? Um, nobody says, nobody says to the quarterback that is only asked to throw the ball 15, 16 times in a game that he's any less of a quarterback than the guy that just asked to, to to throw it 40 times if that guy who's throwing it 16 is winning. So when you look at a guy who has to run and he has to pass and you take it to the next level, which is the NFL level, I, I want people to understand this. The usage rate on Lamar Jackson is so astronomical, he'll never – be used that way in the NFL. He just wouldn't hold up. Nobody would. Cam Newton wouldn't. And Cam Newton is the most freakish human being I've ever seen on a football field. He's built like a D end, and yet he plays quarterback. So when you when you take into account that, hey, you know what? He just threw that ball. He just underthrew that ball, and he wasn't as accurate. Keep in mind that he just ran two plays for 65 yards, and now he's asked to then drop back and throw a pass. While on USC, Sam Darnold's not asked to do that. He's asked to hand off to their leading running back. But on Louisville, Lamar Jackson is the leading rusher. And he's not just kind of sort of the leading rusher. He's so much the leading rusher that he's in the top 10 in rushing in the entire nation. And that's in college where you have Navy and you have, you know, these service academies and you have Georgia Tech who employ quarterbacks who only run, they don't even pass. And so when you look at the fact that sometimes he's not as accurate, does it ever, does it ever come into play with any of these quote-unquote evaluators that he might just be tired, he might just be gassed because he just ran three QB read option plays in a row, and now he's asked to turn around, drop back, read the defense, and then throw a ball on an accurate um, laser to a wide receiver who's not getting any separation from a defender. He's never going to have to do that in the NFL on a consistent basis. 
He might run a little bit here and there, but his main job is going to be to pass. So we can do this. Let's take away Lamar Jackson's running numbers. And let's only look at him as a passer. He's still one of the best passers in the nation. Let's take away his passing numbers and only look at him as a rusher. He's one of the best rushers in the nation. Why would you not want that person as your trigger man? From the moment you start playing sports, you're told that you want the best player to have the ball the most. It's only when you get to the NFL that all of a sudden you don't want that best player to have the ball the most. All of a sudden now you want the best player to be a gadget guy. You want the best player to touch the ball 10 to 15 times a game. It makes no sense. Statistically, it makes no sense. So when somebody tells me, and, and I look, or when I look at a, at a broadcast on ESPN, and I see them flash Lamar Jackson's statistics, and all they do is flash his passing numbers, and they say, oh, well, Lamar Jackson only has one touchdown pass today, while conveniently forgetting that he's rushed for three other touchdowns, and then they turn around, and when you look at them, and they talk about, um, Allen from Wyoming, they say he's accounted for five total touchdowns. That is the that is the narrative that ESPN puts out there. Oh, Josh Allen had five total touchdowns today. He had a phenomenal game. That was a great, the best game Josh Allen's played this year. That's a normal game for Lamar Jackson. And yet, statistically, when we look at it, because we want to devalue Lamar Jackson, not we, but because people want to devalue Lamar Jackson, they only look at his passing numbers. And because they want to hype up Allen, they look at his total numbers. And they say, oh, well, he's not doing it because he doesn't have wide receivers. Well, guess what? He's got pretty darn good wide receivers for low-level FBS play. And Lamar Jackson has terrible wide receivers for Power 5 FBS play. And yet, somehow, Allen is given the benefit of the doubt as a pocket passer, but Lamar Jackson, as a quote-unquote scrambler or a running quarterback, is told, oh, well, you know, so be it. He just wasn't accurate today. He only threw for 65%. Well, I'm sorry, he didn't throw for 70 like Baker Mayfield, but he's also not throwing just straight check-down routes all the time and letting wide receivers run wide open all the time. So I think when you look at statistically what's different and you say, okay, I'm going to say Lamar Jackson accounts for so much offense that it would be stupid for me not to have him on the field. And Baker Mayfield accounts for so much offense that it would be stupid for me not to have him on the field. Why can't both of those things just be equally good? Why is it that one is looked at as better? Because if I take Lamar Jackson's rushing numbers away, and stack his passing numbers up with Baker Mayfield's passing numbers, they're pretty comparable. But when I take the rushing numbers, they don't even come close to the same. Man, that's some good stuff right there, Gene. So we're going to shut it down right here for part one of our conversation. So fans out there, share with your friends. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash football game plan. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And stay tuned for part two of our conversation.